Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode. If you noticed, we went on a little hiatus and we missed you. We celebrated our one-year podcast anniversary and decided to take a couple weeks evaluating our past episodes and planning for some fun future episodes. In today's episode, I sit down with special guest Lori Meyer. Not only is she a dog-powered sports enthusiast and enjoys sledding with her Siberian Huskies, but she's also a big advocate for human fitness. And while our podcast here is training-centered, we often talk about the dog side of things. But as you guys know, dog-powered sports are a team sport. It's us and our dog. And in order for our dogs to be strong competitors, we also need to be in good shape to keep up with them and be good teammates. So today, Lori and I are going to dive in to some really important topics to help us be better partners for our dogs. But before we get started, I do have a couple announcements for you guys. The first thing that I want to talk about is our Patreon community. We have had some special events planned in the community. We had a free fitness class where I met with members over Zoom, and we worked on some exercises in their home that they can practice to work on some strength, balance, and body awareness. We also had a Q&A, so I got to meet with some of our members after work, and we talked about dog training and dog mushing. These events are just a few of the things that you can expect from our Patreon community. And by joining this community for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the podcast so that we can continue to bring you guys more episodes and help make dog-powered sports more accessible for people all across the world. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you. I'll drop a link to our community in the show notes. I also want to remind you guys that you can connect with us on social media. We have a Facebook and an Instagram account, and we'd love for you guys to comment on our posts so that we can get to know you and your running buddy and figure out a little more about what you guys are enjoying from these episodes. I recently got a really nice private message from one of our listeners thanking me for making dog-powered sports more accessible and helping to provide great training content for them. This message really did mean a lot to me, and while it was sent privately, I won't disclose any personal information, but it really made me feel good about some of the content and all of the hard work that we've been putting in. Of course, I couldn't do this without the help from our awesome guests that have taken time as well out of their schedule to share their information and their knowledge with you. I know that dog-powered sports sometimes cannot be the most accessible thing. It can be hard to find people to go out and run with, and finding good training information is not always the easiest thing, which is the main reason I started this podcast, because when I started dog-powered sports, 11 years ago, it was really hard for me in a small college town to find good training content. I didn't have access to a local mushing group, and teaching things like ignoring distractions seemed impossible. Which is why when I got my professional training certification, I made a point to not only create training plans that I could follow, but ones that you could follow as well. I'm really excited to announce the launch of our self-paced, self-serve training course. So you can take classes anytime that suits your schedule. You can log on and follow our step-by-step training guide with handouts and videos to learn all about how to teach the essential foundation behaviors that you and your dog are going to need in order to get started in these sports. You'll learn about equipment and equipment fit. We cover some basics on first aid and paw care, as well as warm-ups and cool-downs. And most importantly, you're going to learn how to teach your dog all of those essential foundations like line out, how to turn right and left or G and haw, how to control speed with hike and woe and walk on, and of course, passing distractions with on by. These essential cues can not only make your life easier and less frustrating when out on the trail, but they help give you that strong foundation to set you and your dog up for success with many trails ahead of you. 
So I'll drop a link to that course in the show notes below, and I hope that you'll take a moment and check it out. And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us through the website, and I'll be sure to get those questions answered to you. We've already got a great number of people signed up, and I'm really excited to share this content with you. So without further ado, I want to thank you all for joining us for year two of the podcast, and let's dive in now to my conversation with Lori to learn how we as humans can be even better teammates for our dogs. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Chelsea. Um, thank you for having me on this. I was really looking forward to this. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in dogs. Um, it was, it was quite a while ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, as far as like the dog sledding aspect of it, um, you know, it, there's a funny story behind it. After I got my first Siberian, my, um, my mother had said to me, she said, Oh, there's the sport. She's like, there's a sport called ski joring. And, and I think you need to do this. <laughs> and, um, and I had grown up cross-country skiing. My mother took me cross-country skiing all the time as a kid. And, um, so I said, okay, you know what, for Christmas, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take some ski joring equipment. So she, <laughs> she, we measured him. She bought me a harness and, um, um, uh, ski drawing bells and we didn't get any of the lines and anything because we didn't know what we were doing. So I just used an old dog leash and when I hooked it up to the belt and I got on my skis and I put the harness on Indiana and he had like no interest in this whatsoever. <laughs> he had like no interest. He was, um, he would pretty much like sit down anytime he felt any, um, tension on the harness and, and, me being, you know, I have no experience in dog sledding, no experience in teaching a dog to pull. I was like, okay, so we'll just go out to the, you know, I, I knew it wasn't right, but I figured, well, we'll just go out to the forest reserve and we'll, we'll go like this. And he was like my skiing partner. I mean, we would just like, like, kind of like scoot on down the trails and turn around, come back. And we'd pass all these people that are just like, wow, you're like braver than I am. And, and I'm like, he doesn't pull. <laughs> it's like, but it was, um, I didn't really pursue it much further than that at the time. Um, he just became my jogging partner, my hiking partner. You know, he was perfectly happy um, to run by my side rather than out in front of me. Um, but when I, my husband and I bought our second Siberian, um, she really showed that pulling kind of initiative when she was a puppy. And I mean, most puppies do. Um but she started and I, she started really showing that and showing that desire and, you know, being okay out in front of me. And, you know, she would start to take directional commands. And I remember thinking, I'm like, I am going to teach this dog to pull because she really picked up, up on that G haul real fast. And um, so I started like training her to pull, like just having her like pull logs around and, you know, down the trails around my neighborhood. And, um, and, within like a few um, months of that, uh, my husband had bought me a, um, a little scooter for Christmas. It was a little diggler. And, um, and I loved this thing. And, you know, and I kind of hooked her, I hooked Kiwi up to the diggler and we went down the street and <laughs> like, turned around and came back. And, and that was like my big, like, wow, you know, okay, this is kind of works. And, you know, it's, it's just funny how things snowball. So within like, I think another few months we were volunteering at a rescue and um, adopted a former sled dog and um, brought him home. And I'm like, all right. And I hooked the two of them up and then we were off. And um, I remember my first run, um, it was at a local forest preserve and, uh, and it was, and I had no idea like how to do this. I didn't know how to pedal. I just, you know, would kind of like pedal a little bit when the dogs would slow down and sometimes they'd stop and pee. And, it was like, and we went around, but I remember coming back and I just, I had this big like smile on my face. My husband's like, did you have fun? I'm like, that was the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> and, um, and again, you know, just life snowballs. You start talking to people. And you start like, oh yeah, you know, my neighbor's friends, like, like former or like former roommate's cousin used to do that. <laughs> and I was talking to a guy at work and he's like, oh yeah, my friend, you know, owns this property where all these people run in Woodstock. And, you know, they put me in contact with a guy um, 
And it just, you know, things just start snowballing. They're like, oh, you need to come check out this event. You need to come check out this demonstration. You know, I met some of the folks from Adopt-A-Husky. Um, you know, I joined the Siberian Husky Club of Greater Chicago and like a lot of people in that club run dogs. And that was where I met Jeff and Jen Siegel. And I think it was, I think it was Jeff. It might've been somebody else from the club who said to me, oh, there's this race. There's this race up in Wisconsin. It's called the Dirty Dog Dryland Derby. Like you, you should try to check this out. It's a lot of fun. It's really good for beginners, blah, 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 blah. So I went home. I said to my husband, I'm like, we got to do this. And my husband's like, all right. So we, you know, grab the van, we grab the dogs. Um, we go up to Pearson, Wisconsin. And uh, this is my first dog sled race. And when we went into the starting chute, um, and I've got my little Diggler scooter and my two dogs, you know, my two sled dogs that, you know, I wasn't really expecting much out of it. They were, um, you know, I entered the sportsman class cause I knew I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but just kind of pretty much knew I was going to at least make it down the trail. I knew that much. Um, cause we'd been practicing, we'd been out and, uh, I'm watching the starting shoot and I'm watching the, the teams in front of me and these dogs, these huge, you know, big racing dogs and they're slamming into their harnesses, jumping into the air. And, and I look down and there are my two little dogs jumping into their harnesses and like jumping in the air. And they're like pushing on the harness. My husband looks at me and he's like, my God, it's like, they're ready to go. And he's all like, Whoa, this is, you know, big. And, and we got into that starting shoot and they started that countdown and I absolutely fell in love. I fell in love with that starting shoot. I fell in love with those dogs, about everything about racing. And, and we took off and we had an okay run. It wasn't the greatest run. I, you know, had to, had to give a pep talk to one of my dogs in like the middle of the trail. <laughs> Because I think it was just a little too much for her. She was a little overwhelmed. But, um, you know, the guy that was in the trail hope in the air area is laughing at me. <laughs> standing like, okay, let's go. And, um, you know, we made it back. We made it down the trail. And I just, I, I think I hit Dirty Dog every single year after that. I made it a point. Um, and unfortunately, the last three years of just like, like, been set up for um just unforeseen circumstances and i haven't been able to go but um that was where i fell in love with racing um and i just i just fell in love with running the dogs and you know all i had at that time was my scooter and i think a few months later i had a dog sled that somebody gave me because they had two of them and they're like i ain't using this one you take it home <laughs> you know it took my sled home and um, you know, I suddenly had a dog sled and I had my little two dog team and, uh, things just snow, they continue to snowball. You know, you meet people. I started talking to Jeff and Jen Siegel more. Um, I started training with Jeff and his, uh, and his friend at the time, George Matos. And they, they taught me so much, so much about, about how to train dogs, about learning to run fast dogs, about training, you know, training for sprinting, um, everything, everything about it, you know, safety, you know, safety equipment. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's been a whirlwind ever since, but, um, it's, it's been a wild ride <laughs> and it ain't all, so it's awesome. It seems like a common thread. The more people I talk to, it's always like, we started off with one or two and then it snowballed. And I realized that this is such a magical experience. Unlike anything else you can do with your dogs that, it's hard to turn away from it. You just keep getting dogs and doing more and expanding your knowledge and it just grows. And that's the funny thing um, that actually for us, we've been, we've been relatively contained. I mean, partially because of where I live, I live in a typical suburban house, you know, quarter acre plot, you know, I can throw a stick and hit my neighbor's house, although I shouldn't, he'll get mad. And um, a week, we can have three dogs here technically, We've had four at one point, um, but you know, those kind of, and I know there, are, I know there are plenty of people who live just like I do and they don't, you know, they've got like five, six, seven, eight dogs in their house. And I, and I really, I admire them. Um, but we've kept things small. 
um, just being able to, you know, being able to work through, through the seagulls and work with hurricane Siberians. Um, I've been able to, um, keep my household can, you know, relatively contained as far as numbers, um, and not, you know, and not have a ton of dogs in my house, but, um, I wouldn't mind. My husband would mind. My husband, Mark would definitely mind. I would not mind at all. <laughs> well, I think that will resonate a lot with our listeners. Cause I think a lot of our listeners are in a similar point, you know, wanting to expand their activity within the sport, but also being somewhat limited, you know, based on where they live and kind of right. what they're able to do. Do you have a favorite aspect of the sport? Do you like the dry land stuff? Do you like the sled stuff? What's your favorite class to run in? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I would definitely say my favorite class to run in is four dog. Um, and it's one I usually focus a lot of my energy on only just because I, I love the intimacy of small teams. And I know that sounds a little strange, um, but I can feel everything each dog does and I can feel everything that I do. And I can see the reactions in them every time. If I happen to lean the sled the wrong way, if I happen to pedal and I jerk the sled a little bit, I can see I can see how that affects every single dog in that team. And, um, and during the run at all points in time, I am monitoring them and I am monitoring that and I'm monitoring where I am on the sled and what I'm doing. Um, and maybe it's my ADHD-ness <laughs> that just makes that entertaining for me and a little bit more fun. I know some people find that really overwhelming. Um, they don't like having, having that much, um, of the work dependent on them. You know, they like being behind a strong team that'll just pull them through it and they just drive the sled. Um, I, I don't know, I just, I've always enjoyed that about um, small teams. I really would like to get into ski joring, um, but I've had some issue, I've had some difficulty um, with my balance and skiing properly and kind of just really learning the basic of the sport, which is in itself skiing. Um, so there's some things that I've kind of learned over the last few years. It's like, okay, I need to, you know, I need to train this differently. I need to look at this differently. I need to, um, get better skis. <laughs> um, so there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of things that have just delayed that progress, but, um, I don't really have like a time limit on it. I don't really have like a date set goal or anything. It's just, I want to do this. And when I do it, yay, great. You know, and if, you know, if I don't, oh, well, I'm probably still going to do some variation of it anyway. Uh, I, I imagine with those small, you know, like four dog teams, you know, you're talking about being able to feel each dog. And I can imagine <laughs> that there is some sort, like you mentioned, some sort of intimacy and connection there, because even though you're running a team, you don't lose that one-on-one -on -one connection with each dog that you're running. Yeah. And I think that's another reason too, why I like having a smaller household. Um, everything I do at home affects how they are on the trail. And um, a lot of the time that is spent in the summer, like a lot of people ask me what I do with the dogs in the summertime. And I say obedience work. <laughs> We do a lot of just obedience work and like little games, you know, teaching them to give paw, you know, we do like, I'll take them out. Well, I, I used to do rally um, obedience years ago. So like, I'll teach them some of those maneuvers and I'll take them for walks and we'll just kind of stop in the middle of the walk and we'll do, you know, we'll do some obedience maneuvers and um, it does things like that. You know, you just, you take them places and, you know, let them smell new things and, you know, all that one-on-one -on -one time, I think makes a huge difference, but it's hard to do when you get into really big teams. You know, you can, if your whole team lives at your house, it's a little bit easier, but, um, but again, I, I really just love the intimacy of having that four dog and, um, and seeing, you know, what I can do with them outside of being on the trail and how that affects their performance on the trail. Um, it's, it's just, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of those skills directly translate when you're working with them on obedient skills, they're working on learning cues and becoming mm -hmm. responsive to them. They're working on, you know, distractions, which even if it, the distractions yes. are encountered differently with obedience work, it translates onto that trail mm -hmm. as well. So absolutely. I, I love and that you're putting that focus there. 
And definitely like things like passing, like um, my one leader, and I am still, I'm still so proud of her and astonished that she was able to run late this year. Um, because when she came home and she was, she was 14 weeks, I think maybe 12. Um, she was, she was afraid of everything. And I have no idea why she was very well socialized, but she, I mean, garbage cans were crazy scary. Um, anything bags blowing in the wind, children, you know, things, just everything was super, super scary for her. So, you know, my big project with her, I think was, I started out with really, really small goals. I'm like, I want to like walk down to the end of the driveway <laughs> and back to the house without her freaking out, you know? And then it was like, okay, we're going to walk over to the corner. We're going to smell this. We're going to turn around, go back. Okay. We're going to walk down to the end of the street. We're going to pass this child on a bicycle <laughs> and every single day. And this is what we spent the entire summer just doing. Um, and when I started training with her and I think I had a few training runs on her before one of our dry land races um, that adopt a Husky had here in Woodstock. Um, we were out on, on a working farm and the owner of the farm had given us all the permission to come out here and train. So I had a friend of mine um, behind me on an ATV. Um, I had him running chase that day because I wasn't really sure how she was going to react. Um, I put her up with my other, with my other leader, Bob, who's, you know, seven years old and she's been leading for years. And, and she, and little Kit Kat was like, she was just a dead on driving leader. I couldn't believe it. I mean, she drove so hard and here we are coming down this farm field and there's like farm equipment and, and, you know, the guy on the tractor can see me, he's waving, I'm waving, I'm coming. All right. You know, I don't really know what's going to happen here. I don't know if she's going to pass this thing or not. She flew past it. Didn't even look at it. Didn't even look at the combine, just nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and it, and she has been fantastic the entire season, passing other dogs, passing other people on the trail, has not batted an eye at anything. Um, so, you know, I, I know these things work. You know, I, I think what's so important is you have to like read, you have to know your dog and you have to read how their, how their reactions and what their body language is telling you about their experiences. And um and I just, I am, I'm still so astonished and proud of that little girl. She's been fantastic. I know you mentioned not having a timeline, but do you have some goals set for your dogs and for your team? Anything in particular that you guys are looking to accomplish? Um, I would really like to, um, I would really like to try um, either Bob or Kit Kat in, um, in Ski Jor. Um I'm not, I really don't look, I'm looking at the, at the grass starting to green outside around me. And I'm like, oh, that ain't happening here. Um, and I don't think it'll probably happen this year. Um, I might wait till kid is a little bit like more, just a little more experienced in lead before I try to put her with skis. I'm not sure how she's going to react to the skis. Um, we may have to spend the summer, you know, having my skis out in, in the house, <laughs> just having her walk around them. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, this is something that I would like to do. Um, you know, my goal every year is just to get out with my dogs and, and run. And, um, one of my goals this year was to, um, was to have my three dogs running on the, on the four dog this year. And, um, you know, I have the opportunity, thankfully with good friends to be able to borrow dogs. Um, and you know, if I wanted to have a, uh, faster, younger four dog team, you know, we could have worked it out. And, um, I really, I really wanted my nine-year-old boy on that team. Yeah. I really wanted him on my four dog team. And, uh, Bob has been, my little other leader has been fantastic. She's been, you know, I should no reason. She hasn't slowed down at all. Um, but I wasn't really sure how Odin was going to handle it this year. So, um, I worked a lot of one-on-one -on -one scooter work with him in the fall. Um, just making sure that he had the proper muscle development, the proper strength conditioning, um, and making sure that, you know, we were avoiding any injuries or anything like that because he's nine years old, you know, you don't know what's yeah. going to come. Um, so I, 
I really focused on that a lot with him and he did, he did fabulous this year. Absolutely fabulous. Um, whether or not, you know, he'll be running on the, on the main four dog string next year. I, I don't know. Um, but he'll be running. I know that much because he certainly hasn't told me that he's ready to stop. So, uh, he'll probably be, um, if he's not on the four next year, he'll probably be on the, be on a two dog team. Um, but you know, those are my, my goals aren't really, they're not like competitive based. It's just really more or less just to keep my dogs, you know, to keep my household going, to keep my dogs happy, um, to be able to work with them and bring them with me to races, regardless of the class that they run in. Um, and, you know, next year, um, we may bring in another puppy next year and, you know, it'll start, you know, the whole process all over again. And it's like, where is this puppy going to be placed on the team? Are they going to run lead? Are they not? You know, what do I need to do to bring that, to bring out of that dog what they're capable of mm-hmm. um, and, and what they want to do? Because, you know, my first Siberian, <laughs> my first Siberian taught me not everybody wants to run. <laughs> Um, so it's, if that answers your question, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, that's, that's my thinking about it and my approach. I love that. You know, you're putting the dog's needs, of course, ahead, which we all do in this sport. We're in the sport because we love our animals and we want to spend time with them. And I think that's two really nice examples of how putting in that groundwork will make a difference in the long run. You know, with your dog, that was a little more fearful, really working hard in that off season on building confidence and, you know, adjusting to new environments. And then with your older dog, spending that one-on-one time, making sure that physically we were in good enough shape and still wanting to do it, you know, at kind of adjusting our training plan for the dog in front of us, instead mm-hmm. of just having some cookie cutter plan that we think is going to work for every dog. Cause that's certainly not the case. And I don't have that kind of, you know, I, I don't have that kind of ability. I mean, where, where I'm at, you know, if, if I had a kennel of like, you know, 30 dogs, maybe that would be a little bit different. I would have a lot more to choose from and a lot more to work with. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, I just, I, I like my little household. I like my dogs in my house, you know, and it's, um, if I didn't have them running on my team, I would have them doing something else. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of how I approach, um, Odin as he's getting a little bit older is, um, you know, if he wants to run, he's going to race. If he doesn't want to run anymore and he doesn't want to race, all right, we're going to do something else with him. You know, he's always going to have a job. He's always going to have a place. Um, it's just the way I want, the way I want things to be for him. Um, you know, I don't want him to ever know. Um, I don't want, I don't want him to ever know being left behind. I don't want him to ever know, you know, that confusion and that heartbreak of, of not being able to do what he wants to do. Yeah. So and it's, you know, and if the day comes that I have to forcibly retire again, just, I got to find something else for him to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Our dogs are used to having jobs and we want mm-hmm. them to be able to have that outlet. Cause it's such, it becomes such an innate part of who they are, you know, needing that outlet, needing that, uh, job and kind of accountability from us to get up and go do something with them every day. And I think that that transitions really nicely into the human side of things too, because often on this podcast, we talk about the training and behavior component of things with this sport, but we don't so often talk about the human side, but in reality, that human side is 50% of that team. You know, we need to put in all of those uh, foundations and groundwork on ourselves as well in order to be a good teammate for our dog. So talk to us a little bit about, before we kind of dive into that, what, mm-hmm. what you do professionally and how you kind of developed an interest into putting that work into yourself as that human component. Okay. Um, there may be a couple of really long stories that are attached <laughs> just to warn you. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> My God, where do I begin? Um, well, I, 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 I am a physical therapist assistant. Um, I work for Ortho Illinois. Um, it is a uh, clin- clinic of uh, 50, 53, I think, orthopedic surgeons. Um, I've been working with these guys for the last 17 years. Um, prior to that, I was working at the hospital, um, still a lot of orthopedic, um, a lot of orthopedic, like post-operative patients, but then some, uh, strokes and, or, um, some 
people with um, that have had like um, stroke or um, brain injury, things like that. Um, but primarily, and I've been a PT assistant for the last 20 years, um, but primarily my focus has always been orthopedics. Um, lots and lots of, you know, post-operative knee surgeries, shoulder surgeries, back surgeries, ankle surgeries, um, elbow surgeries, <laughs> neck surgeries. Um, I've seen a lot. So what was the other half of your question? Um, kind of what started your interest in, you know, human fitness, human, um, you know, like the human side of, of your team. Oh, the mushing. Okay. Definitely noticing, like, um, I think that those first few like scooter races that I was doing, um, there's a decent hill, um, at the dirty dog for anybody who's familiar with, with that course. <laughs> and everybody talks about some of the hills in the longer course. And, um, there was one of them in particular, I remember trying to get off that scooter and run. And I probably would have been better just to stand on the scooter because we slowed down so bad <laughs> to the point that the dogs kind of looked at me. <laughs> They're like, what's going on back there? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it was something I remember like that fall. I think I talked to Jeff about, it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start running more, you know, I start running more. And it was actually really funny because that summer, I think we did a bunch of 5k races and 10k races. We did like one, like almost every weekend. And, um, and you know, my speed got a, got a little bit better. I had a little more power going up the hills. So that I think the next year that I was um, running dry land, it wasn't nearly as bad. But then I noticed it on the sled too. So like going up the hills, like the steep hills, um, I'd get off the sled and run and the dogs, they would look at me. <laughs> and um, so there was something I was like, okay, I really, really need to work on this. So, you know, I went to my gym and, um, and I started pushing the sled around, um, and loading up with plates and like pushing the sled and dragging the sled around and practicing doing hill sprints and, and, and all these things. And it's, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I noticed when I was on the sled and it's like, Hey, wait a minute. When I kick, I kind of shift the sled to the left and, and my wheeler looks at me <laughs> Um, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, when I'm like, like crouching to, um, to get out of the wind, um, you know, as, is the sled dragging off in one side, you know, and I, I noticed that particularly, um, I noticed that particularly when I was recovering from breaking my leg and I was back on the sled and, um, I think I was up at Land Lakes and I was only, I think I was only four weeks out of, or no, uh, four months. I was 16 weeks out of surgery. And, um, and I, you know, I got, I was been back behind the runners a couple of times. So, you know, I knew I could do it. I knew I could take the team down the trail, but what I wasn't prepared for was the fact that I couldn't squat. So there were uh, my, my ankle and my knee to put that kind of like pressure through that bone where that, um, where the, where that, where the rod is in, um, I couldn't squat down. So there's like a bunch of pictures of me from Land Lakes that year where I'm like bent over at the waist trying to get out of the wind. And I'm like folded forward because I can't squat down. And I remember being on the team and laughing at myself and thinking, oh, I got to fix this. <laughs> I really got to fix that. So, you know, a lot of my inspiration for these things comes from my own experiences. It comes from, you know, injuries that I've had, you know, where I like torqued my shoulder the wrong way, trying to put one of the dogs in the box above my head, you know, trying to, you know, trying to lift and carry things. And I'm like, my gosh, why am I struggling with this? So it's like, okay, I got to work on, you know, more shoulder strength, more overhead strength you know, doing like farmer lifts and carrying things, you know, just carrying heavy dumbbells up and down the gym. And everybody's looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> I've got all these bizarre exercises that I'm doing, but again, it's geared towards helping me be better on the sled to have better balance, to have better core strength, to have better stability, um, to have a better kick, um, to, uh, to be able to handle the, to be able to hold, you know, grip and handle the docks better be able to lift them more safely to get them into the uh into the upper box 
um, all these things come from, you know, everything that I've experienced and, you know, injured and had to recover from and, you know, had to rehab. Um, and it's all been in incorporated into my current workouts that I do now. And I still do a lot of these crazy things that people are kind of, you know, I, and I can tell, I can see them in the corner of my eye. I can see these guys, these big weightlifter guys, and they're looking like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, there's a reason. Come talk to me. I'll explain it all to you. You're like, I'm on a very special training plan over right. here. <laughs> it's a little different than yours. Right. I th obviously fitness is important for everybody, but I, you know, as somebody who has had knee and ankle surgery myself, I, I do find myself continuing those PT exercises because you lose so much muscle, you lose range of motion. There are so many things that if you don't keep up with it, you'll then be compensating and you'll always have, you know, that weakness. And then you're even more likely to injure yourself, you know? So it's super important that once you start something like that, that you're consistent with continuing it because it's very easy to lose it and really hard to kind of get it back. So how do you kind of keep yourself motivated to stay on track with your fitness? Um, I set different goals like every year. Um, this year I've got a couple of really big ones. Um, I decided that um, I'm going to try a body, body, bodybuilding competition. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's all it's right now. I'm looking at it going, this is going to be a lofty goal, <laughs> but, um, the, 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 the training and the, um, the workout routine is nothing that's really new to me. Um, I've considered myself very much a recreational bodybuilder for years. Um, but doing it, you know, kind of approaching a competition wise, it's like, okay, I have to get a little more serious. You know, I really got to hone, hone in my training, um, I got to get myself on a schedule. I have to get myself on a timeline, get connected with a coach, um, start really honing in the honing in the nutritional aspect of it. And um, the other goal I was toying with doing was a mini triathlon. And I don't know if I'm going to hit these two in the same year. That might be a bit much. I have to remember that I'm 50. <laughs> and, and that I'm you're human and you're still working and you only have a certain amount of time. <laughs> you know, let's see what else I can, you know, plan for myself to do. Um, but, uh, but, you know, little things like that, you know, the, the racing and the, um, the five K's and 10 K's that, um, that Jeff and I always used to do always, I think helped. Um, my husband and I have started some, um, like some extended, like hiking, um, plans last year, we were out hiking in the grand Canyon. So I did a lot of training for that and carrying packs and doing a lot of hill work and, um, and a lot of core strengthening. And um, this year, you know, looking at the bodybuilding competition, it's like, okay, you know, take everything I'm doing and just really up it a notch um, and start to get more organized and more scheduled. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not sure about the mini tribe, but, um, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, it's early. It's only March. <laughs> so, as somebody who's kind of been observing your performance, observing how that impacts your dogs, do you find that there are certain things in your fitness program when you really hone in on it that benefit you, like focusing more on cardio, focusing more on strength, stability? What do you tend to prioritize in your program that you've seen that impact come through as you're performing? Um, definitely. Well, definitely cardio. So my usual routine, um, I do a lot of, I do like moderate cardio and a ton of weightlifting usually through the summertime. And that's usually like the, like looking at any strength deficits or imbalances that I had, like at the end of the season and starting to, starting to address those and work on those, working on balance issues. If I noticed that there was any, you know, issues with balance, um, lots of dynamic balance issues. Cause I do have some issues with that. Um, but then come fall started the switch over where I would start really digging into the cardiovascular work and, um, the weight training would be more of like a maintenance type routine program where I was only, only in the gym about two times a week. And I would do a lot of running, um, a lot of running last year became a lot more biking, um, because my, my knees, especially the left ones, since I broke the leg 
doesn't really care for running that much. So we've kind of backed off on the running, did a little bit more bicycling. Um, I was hoping to hit a cross country ski race this winter, but it's this trails down by me never really came, came about where I was able to get down and regu regularly train for that. So um, I kind of abandoned that idea, but um, I, you know, this year I'd stayed with a lot more of the weightlifting and not as much cardio. And I think I noticed a little bit of a difference, especially this last race that we did um, in Heel Creek. And it was a great trail. <laughs> it was a great trail. It was so much fun to drive, but there were some serious hills. And I remember there was a couple of times and I thought, man, I really should have been doing more cardio. Yeah, I should have been doing more cardio. Um, you know, would it have made that big of a difference in my placing? I don't know, but you know, I probably wouldn't have been out of, out of as out of breath on the trail as I was. Um, so um, I think you know, probably coming up this season, um, you know, I really, really have to, um, you know, hone in the cardio again next, like in next winter. Um, before the start of the season. But the other thing that I notice a lot of is a flexibility. And, um, you know, I know we've talked about strength and cardio and strength and cardio. Um, flexibility is a really, really big issue when you're running dog teams. And it's not just about your abilities on the sled, but it's about, you know, injury prevention when you're handling your dogs and when, you know, you're running teams up to the line or you're, you know, you're lifting dogs or carrying water buckets or you're doing all this stuff. Cause you know, we have such a physical sport that it's not just our time on the trail that takes its toll on us. It's everything around it. It's everything building up to it. And then it's everything afterwards because you got to clean up your mess <laughs> and get all your stuff together so you can go home. Um, and, and flexibility is something that, um, you know, I, I have a bad habit of not focusing hard enough on. Um, and last year I had, um, I'd spent a lot of time taking yoga classes, um, hot yoga classes, and it was wonderful. Um, but I've incorporated a lot of that into my stretching routine. So instead of like doing traditional static stretching, um, that a lot of people are familiar with, I just go into my yoga and I start using my yoga routine. Um, and that helped immensely when it came to crouching on the sled, squatting, big deal. Um, that really helped out a lot. And um, it helped a lot with my kick because um, I noticed the better flexibility and core strength I had, I didn't, I didn't shift the sled as much. So like with every kick, you know, there used to be this like lateral shift to the sled a little bit because, you know, my core strength was off on one side, my flexibility was off on one side. Um, and I didn't see a lot of that now because, you know, because I've been working on trying to balance all that out. Um, so it's, it, it really makes a huge, it can make a huge impact. I mean, even if, even if you're not going at it gung-ho like I am, <laughs> because I'm nuts. <laughs> um, you know, any little changes that you can do to take care of your body, to strengthen your body or improve your, your, your fitness um, and your flexibility is only going to benefit you in the long run. Um, you know, and you might, you might see it on the trail. You might, you know, you might just notice that, you know, I don't feel quite as exhausted as I used to be after a race. You know? I, appreciate what you mentioned about flexibility because I have always struggled with flexibility and I get in these spurts where I'll be really dedicated to my yoga practice. And then it kind of falls off as I start getting busy or focusing on other things. And I always notice an immediate change in my body. When I abandon that yoga practice, it's like everything tightens up and my ability to do even strength and cardio changes because I am then not as flexible. So I appreciate that. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that it's something that people probably don't put as much effort into and maybe don't even spend as much time on static stretches as they should be after activity. Absolutely. And I, you know, I run into it a lot, a lot of times with my patients and you hear the, a lot of the same stuff. You know, I, I, we, we see a lot of athletes and, um, you talk to them about the stretching programs and, um, and a lot of them are like, eh, you know, I don't stretch like I should, you know, most, even my, you know, even, you know, my recreational athlete athletes are like, yeah, I don't stretch like I should, <laughs> you know, they talk to me and they're like, well, do you stretch like you should? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> and, and I don't know really why that is. I mean, stretching is such great self 
care. Mm-hmm. It really is. It is such great self-care for our bodies. So it's like, why, why don't we, we, we get that, you know, why don't, why don't we take more advantage of that? Why don't we focus on more on that? Is it, you know, really along those lines, it's like, well, this is self-care and I got too many other things to take care of. Or is it, you know, just like, Hey, I, I, I can take care of my own body too. And let's stretch. <laughs> what a concept. Yeah. Hopefully everybody will have that one takeaway. If nothing else, <laughs> let's add some more flexibility into our program. Right. Now you mentioned earlier, kind of a shift in your own program as you're transitioning from kind of what we would consider off season for running dogs in the mm-hmm. summer, focusing a lot on strength and then shifting a little bit more to cardio as we move into fall to kind of prepare for our winter season. Is that something that you find is consistent? Do you focus on different things during different seasons to help you prepare for, you know, dry land versus snow season? Um, not so much dry land to snow. Um, I don't do that much dry land. I mean, I, at the very most, I probably do two races. Um, my focus is really on snow. And a lot of that also has to do with the fact that, um, it's hard for me to get my team really trained up enough before a dry land race. Um, because it's so warm down here. So a lot of times our training is, um, is a little sporadic in the very beginning because the weather is so iffy. And, um, so I don't, I don't like really push to do a lot of dry land races. Um, so there's not a much change into, there's not a much change into that. Um, I think part of my shift, um, from focusing on more cardio and less on strengthening during the racing season was about, um, was just about time was that, you know, I just, I couldn't get the time to get into the gym to continue doing what I wanted to do. So it's like, okay, I've got 25 minutes. I'm going to go for a run. You know, it was a lot easier to throw that in during the, you know, during the week to keep myself in shape than it was to be like, Oh, wait a minute. We got to go do the legs. (laughs) That's a little complicated. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, if somebody is going to kind of start amping up their routine, how many days do you kind of recommend that they start with as a base goal? And then what would they work up to as their ultimate goal? Um, depending on the start of the fitness level. So, I mean, somebody, the average person, I would say you can probably get away with starting about two to three times a week. I would say three times a week. If somebody is maybe a little deconditioned, Um, they're not used to exercising. They haven't really engaged in a program like that before. I would say start two times a week. Um, I, I am, you know, I, one of the things for, um, that we really focus on a lot when dealing with, with athletes is making sure they get rest days. Um, because the, you know, the, those of us who are either the gung ho, you know, tend to not rest a lot. And, um, that's, that's really a hard thing to drive into some people's heads. Like you, you need to take a day off. Um, and I think it's, it's something important too in, in people that are trying to build themselves up. So when you're starting, you know, from a point where it's like, okay, you know, I'm not really out of shape, but I want to get in better shape. You still need to consider that you need to rest. And, you know, more is not always better, especially when you're pushing your body and you're really, you know, pushing the envelope um, because that envelope is different for every person. You know, one person, you know, may, may have really good cardiovascular ability and, you know, they can go out and run four or five days a week. And the next person maybe has a little, you know, more difficulty with that. And they need, they need that rest, you know, they need that rest in between each one of their workouts. Um, so, I mean, along with the, you know, is it two days a week? Is it three days a week? Is it five days a week? Um, I think the important part is to always start out slow, give yourself days off and see how your body responds. Um, if you, if you really you know, if you jump into something and you go at it, like, like really hard in the very beginning and you're doing it multi, you know, too many days a week, 
you're not going to really notice that you've way crossed that line into overdoing it until you're really hurt. And then you're really set back. So starting out slow is always better. You can always add more things in. You can always start with a workout in the morning and be like, boy, that really wasn't feeling like much yesterday. Um, I'm going to do it tomorrow, but then I'm going to do something else with it. You know, you can always add in more, but trying to take yourself back and trying to take away less is usually, it's still usually just a little more detrimental. And it's, and it's hard, I think, on the psyche too. Because people are, you know, most people want to get better. You know, they want to get better. They want to do better. They want to feel better. Um, but, you know, if, if they're hitting it so hard that they start setting themselves back, that is just, it's, it's emotionally crushing. I mean, it really is. It's very, um, God, I can't think of the word, um, disheartening. Yeah. So as somebody is starting this plan, you know, let's say we've got a really gung ho person that wants to get out and be consistent mm-hmm. and, and keep doing activities. How do like you personally decide when you need to add in an extra rest day for yourself when maybe resting is not something that comes easily to you? Um, definitely. I have to, I have to look at, I have to really look at all areas of me. Um, one of which is that my, the first symptom that usually crops up for me is I get crabby (laughs) and I start getting cranky Then I know was like, okay. Um, you know, sometimes it's related to not getting enough calories in to support my workouts. And I'm, I'm, I'm bad about that. Um, sometimes it's, you know, just a matter of just too many things going on. So, you know, I've been way too active at work, you know, I've had to do a a lot of lifting and carrying and things at work and then I'm trying to go to the gym and I'm trying to do all this stuff afterwards. And, uh, you know, I, 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 this muscle soreness that usually shows up is so common to me that I don't notice, you know, I don't really address it. Um, but usually there's a level of like crankiness and just this funny fatigue it's not even really a physical fatigue it's a mental fatigue and I and I've I've learned now to identify that and it's like oh no I I need a day off I need a day off and nowadays I regularly schedule days off like so many days in the gym and I know I hit that fourth day in the gym and I'm like okay I'm not doing anything tomorrow (laughs) nothing and you know as people I think most people like we the more experience you have with pushing your body, you become more familiar with how your body responds. And you kind of know certain things. It's like, okay, maybe I need a little more vitamin C, you know, maybe I need a little more water. Um, you know, maybe I need a little more calcium, a little more protein, um, carbohydrates, (laughs) you know, carbs have gotten such a bad rap over the last like 10 years. And it's ridiculous because you brought, you need carbohydrates for your brain to function. So if you think about how you're trying to push your body without any carbohydrates, but yet this up here needs to function, we're really like, you know, we're really really shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, But, you know, you get, you you get used to like noticing the little signs and symptoms in your own body. And it's like, okay, I need more of this. I need more of this. I need more of this. But, you know, the one thing I would tell anybody starting out or even anybody currently in it, make make sure you get enough sleep. Sleep is huge. Um, Sleep is where your body repairs itself. Um, Sleep is where your muscles grow. So, you know, if you're looking to try to build some mass, you know, you're looking to try to, you know, get get some nice quads going or something like that, you need to sleep. Um, and, and, you know, all of us, it's even, even when we're doing something that's, that's mentally exhausting, you know, it's the only time your brain gets to rest is when you sleep. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, my big thing. And I've, I've been after that a little bit, like with my patients sometimes and, you know, just saying like, are you getting enough sleep at night? <laughs> sleep is huge. Usually the answer, I think for most people is no, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not I, getting enough sleep. Yeah. Am I getting the amount of sleep that I want to get? No, of course not. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up that mental component of it though, because for me personally, I have chronic illness. And so physical discomfort is something I always have. And so for me, when I start to push my body in athletics, it's kind of hard for me to determine what that base level normal is versus maybe I'm pushing myself too hard. But I always know that before that starts to happen, 
my, you know, where I am mentally will shift. And Mm -hmm. I can feel now that that the next step is physical injury or, you know, being completely overwhelmed. And I, you have to pay attention to that mental piece because if your head is saying you need a break, you know, you do need a break. You need to recharge. You need to fill yourself back up because if you don't, then you can lead yourself to either physical injury or just burnout. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it's, you know, something that, um, I think a lot of people forget is that your normal is different than my normal. Um, my normal is different than my husband's normal. Um, you know, my husband's normal is different than his sister's normal. Um, it's, you know, we all, we all have a, have a slightly different experience in this lifetime and in, in, in our bodies. And, um, I think you have to know what your normal is. And, you know, when you're, when you're getting outside of that point and it's, you're hitting, you're feeling this, like, I feel like I'm not recovering. It is, it's, it's definitely time to back off. And we really, we do ourselves such a colossal disservice. Um, and in this, I'm just going to say in this country, but I, cause I don't know how you know, other societies are, but I think definitely in America, we are so about comparing, you know, comparing this whole, like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses concept, you know, it just, it infiltrates our thinking, you know, and it's, and we do ourselves such a disservice with that because, because I can't be where like the neighbor down the street is, you know, and this guy is like a crazy, he's like a crazy great athlete he's an amazing runner and i see him fly past my house and i live like at the top of a hill so this guy comes up he doesn't even break stride it's amazing i love him <laughs> and i watch dave go by the by the house i'm like hey you know, it's just beautiful and it's and that's not me you know I, I i can't run like that i can't run with that kind of stride um and it's 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 okay but, you know, that's not my normal. That's his normal. Um, you know, my normal is a nice little, you know, comfortable jog where I kind of, you know, just go down my mileage in my neighborhood and somebody else probably looks at that and it's like, wow, you know, that woman's just still out there running. My God, here she comes back again, <laughs> you know, hour later. Um, but little do they know I didn't go that far. It just took me that long. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you have to start with where you are. And, and you can only be where you are. And I think if a lot of us could grasp that um, and really accept it and love where we're at and love ourselves for where we are, I think there would probably be, be like this huge like paradigm shift in the consciousness of the world. <laughs> but, you know, I can, I can hope. Yeah. Well, I think too, I, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think now too, like in this day and age of social media, where everybody's spending their free time with their computer, AKA their phone right in front of them all the time, we're constantly looking at other people's lives. And of course, when we look at social media, everybody's only sharing the best of the best, right? We often don't go to social media to share, you know, struggles we're having. And so I think that when someone is then looking at their own fitness journey and trying to compare it to somebody else out there, you know, that can make you feel bad about yourself. It can kind of, um, demotivate you to get out there where instead, you know, like you said, everybody is on their own journey and you just have to look at yourself and your team as an individual. And instead of comparing goals to other people, you know, set your own personal goals and just compare yourself to yourself and look for that personal improvement to really drive you forward and motivate you. Right. And it's, and it, you got to think, it's like, okay, well, what do I want for my body? I think, you know, it's, it's a disservice to ourselves with when we look at somebody else and say, well, I want legs like that because that person quite possibly may have a longer tibia than you do. They may have a longer femur. Um, they may have a shorter waist and longer legs. Um, they may have a longer waist and shorter legs. Um, some people are built just slightly structurally different than the next person. And that gives them sometimes an aesthetic advantage. Um, one of the things that I'm, you know, looking at, like looking at the bodybuilding competition is a great idea. You know, I'm short, I'm relatively like, like I have a longer torso. I also have a thick torso. So for me, physique wise, you know, there are certain things that I'm going to need to build up that I'm going to need to, you know, for aesthetics, you know, make a little bit wider to kind of give an illusion because I'm never going to have a tiny little waist. (laughs) It's not going to happen. 
Um, and I, and I think that's, you know, it's something that, that a lot of us can, can kind of take to our own advantage and just say, well, what do I want from my body? You know, if, if, if I don't, you know, if I don't like the way I, you know, squat on the sled during a turn, you know, or if I don't like um, the fact that I can't pedal that well, like behind my team, or, you know, I don't like the fact that I'm huffing and puffing, you know, going up and down the stairs, or, you know, I can't, you know, I feel like I can't walk the hills, you know, in my local forest preserve, you know, it's like whatever it is that you want for your body, that's, that's what you need to really focus on. Um, because it's, I, I will never be able to have legs like my neighbor. <laughs> it's just, it's not going to happen. Um, and it's, you know, but there's certain things that I'm, I'm going to be able to achieve in my own goal, goal setting that maybe that somebody else is like, wow, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. You know, it's very, you know, it's when you're dealing with your body, it's very individualized. You know, there's certain things that, um, you know, we have to take into account. You know, it's it, certain things that are like universal. It's like to get better, you kind of have to push yourself. Yeah. Um, we all need sleep. We all need water. We all need good food. You know, you try to, you know, skip the donuts and go for the oatmeal. You know, there's certain things that, you know, it's just, it's universal. But, you know, and I think when you're setting goals for yourself and, you know, you know, wanting, wanting to change, uh, you know, like what your fitness structure is, um, you really have to take that individual account in um, and set individualized goals. You know, like years ago, I, um, before I started um, physical therapy, I was a personal trainer. And before I started personal training, I, I had just decided, I'm like, I, I want to run. Because I could never run as a kid. It drove me insane when I was in school. And it drove my gym teachers nuts as well. Because they couldn't understand why I was dying on a 50-yard dash. Um, but, you know, it begs, this is like, you know, 1970, 1980-something. And, you know, I, I was never fully diagnosed with exercise-induced asthma until I was in my 20s. And I'm looking at the doctor and going, you're kidding me. <laughs> And like, I mean, I had this my whole life and nobody told me, you know, I just got a gym teacher in my head screaming at me from when I was a kid. And, you know, it's so back then I was like, I want to run. So I literally got on my treadmill. I jogged, I think at like four miles an hour for 30 seconds. And I had to walk for five minutes and catch my breath. That is where I started. And like three days a week, I would go down in the basement. I would tell my parents, because I lived with my folks at the time. And I told them, like, don't bother me. I'm going down to run. <laughs> I can't talk when I'm running because then I'll get a stitch in my side and I can't breathe. Um, but I would go down in the basement and I would just start 30, 30 seconds walk for five minutes. And then it became a minute. And I was like super proud when I hit the minute. You know, and then I actually managed to be able to like jog a little bit faster. And, um, and I went for two minutes and four minutes and five minutes. And eventually I was running 10 minutes without having to stop and catch my breath. And then I was running a mile and then I was doing, and then I was doing five Ks and 10 Ks and finally a half marathon. And, you know, it's just been this like long history of decades, but you, you can only start where you're at. And if you start where you're at, you can only go forward because you're not trying to start, you know, you're not trying to be someplace where you're not. And that's, you know, that's, I, I hope if anybody gets a takeaway from that, they just be like, I'm, I'm going to start where I'm at. And that's, and that's where I'm at. And that's, you know, that's what it is. You know, everybody, everybody out there had to start someplace. Even my neighbor with that beautiful, beautiful stride <laughs> when he flies past my house, he had to start somewhere too. I love that. Appreciate where you're at. Appreciate the journey. Don't mm -hmm. blame yourself where you're at. You know, just get out there, get started. And every day it's going to get just a little easier for you to keep moving along. Absolutely. Well, before we head out, Lori, are there any last minute tips or pieces of information that you want our listeners to walk away with? Um, something I tell because I get people that ask me a lot about like starting fitness programs. Um, and, and thankfully, in you know, my profession, most of the time, it's like the end of physical therapy. And there's like, I want to go back to pump class. You know, I want to go back to CrossFit. I want to go back to this and that and the other. 
Um, so most of them have already had that physical screening that where we've looked at where their muscular imbalances are, um, where their flexibility imbalances are, and a lot of that's being addressed. Um, so for people that you know aren't currently in PT, um, go to the doctor. It's, it's really quick, it's really easy, and just say, hey, I'm thinking about starting up, you know, cycling. You know, what do I need? You know, what, do I, what should I really have checked out? You know, they may, and they know your medical history. They might be like, well, let's, you know, check your heart real quick. You know, let's check your lungs real quick. Um, no, let's, you know, check your back real quick because I know you've had, you know, these problems before. Just go get a physical screening. It, it will save you so much trouble in the future. <laughs> and seeking out chiropractors and physical therapists and all these things, you know, after an injury happens, go for a screening first. Um, and if you really want to um, get a few visits of PT, go see a physical therapist. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to start this program. And, you know, I'm just not really sure where my imbalances are, where, you know, where structurally I might, you know, run into some issues, you know, run you through, you know, quick, you know, physical screening, send you home with them with some exercises. I, it's, um, you know, the state of Illinois, unfortunately, you have to go to the doctor first and get a prescription <laughs> to do that. Um, but other states, you know, have like have more direct access where, you know, they can you can do that in just a single visit. Um, so, you know, that's one of my biggest advices to people is just, you know, just prevent that injury from even starting, you know, just go go get some screening and um, and get some help. You know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you've just joined the gym and you're looking around at that equipment and you're like, yeah, I don't really know how to do this. And, you know, that guy over there is doing something really weird and I don't think he knows what he's doing. So I ain't going to do that. <laughs> and yes, folks, if you see anybody at the gym doing strange things, please don't follow Please don't do that. Um, get one of the trainers, you know, like one or two visits, you know, just say, Hey, can you start me up on an exercise program? You know, you always have the option to maybe double check with them back in a, like, like a few months. I'm like, okay, I need harder to do stuff. You know, I want to learn how to do like, like the clean and jerk and stuff. And I want to do like, you know, um, all these like Olympic weightlifting moves or something, you know, it's, it's really worthwhile just to get a little bit of help in the beginning. Um, and you know, if, when you talk to people and you, even you talk to like, like athletes, like people that you, that are like really athletic, really competitive, they have had a lot of help. They've had a lot of help getting started out. They've had a lot of help with progression. They've had a lot of advice and guidance. Um, and it's okay to, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. It is. It is okay to ask for help. And that help is not only going to show you how to do different exercises, but how to do them correctly too, so that you're not hurting yourself, you know, so that you're really making the progress that you want to make. Right. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you talking about this. I can tell you're passionate about it and I hope that others get a lot of valuable information from this. Oh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, any, anytime. Um, and you know, people can reach out to me on social media. You send me a message on Facebook. If you've got any questions and I'll try to try my best to point you in the right direction. That'll be great. I'll be sure to include your uh, information in our show notes for our listeners. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know. By leaving a five-star review on your podcast listening platform, you can help me connect with other dog-powered sports enthusiasts so that we can grow the sport and spread the word. So, until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.